Hello, this is Ken Ferry with this week's Boots in the Field. First part of this week uh, was spent out in Ohio. Kind of give you a crop report of what I saw. I saw some pretty good corn all the way to Indianapolis. Um, when you get east of Indianapolis, it starts to get roughed up a little by drought. And uh, a little bit disappointing for the guys in Ohio out there. I'm guessing it took in about two-thirds of the state where drought has uh, done some damage to their corn crop. Uh, talked to some farmers who were chopping silage already at Blister, but it was only 6-ton silage versus a 25-ton expected. Uh, due to drought damage, they were taking the silage before it got any drier itself. So I would say half to two-thirds of Ohio has taken a pretty good hit on the uh, corn crop. The beans actually uh, looking pretty good. Um, I would say, again, from east of Indianapolis on up to Fort Wayne, about a third of the state of Indiana also looks like it's uh, um, got some issues from a dry weather standpoint on the corn crop itself. Uh, the same, though, there was some good fields out there. We checked uh, yields from 170 to 210 in some of the better fields out there and saw very little sudden death out in that um, neck of the woods itself. As we look at the crop here closer to home, um, there definitely is some heavy sudden death pressure that's very prevalent now. Uh, it seems to be worse on, again, the earlier planted beans. Those were planted that uh, week or so before Mother's Day, right through Mother's Day weekend. Uh, the ones that took forever to get out of the ground, and we were worried about them this spring. Unfortunately, that prediction kind of come true there, showing some of the heaviest of damage. With that said, though, I would say in general, the sudden death issues that we're dealing with here in the state are actually still somewhat moderate. So we look at McLean, Livingston, um, even here at uh, DeWitt County and stuff, there, there is sudden death, but we definitely have seen sudden death at heavier pressures. And again, probably going back more to planting dates than uh, than anything else. Now, last year we had a number of seed treatment plots out to manage sudden death, but without much sudden death pressure, we really couldn't tell. We're probably up to a dozen plots right now that we can identify, and they look pretty neat from drone imagery uh, as far as up on top of the field. The half the planter being treated and the other half not, they look like the American flag striped across the field. So looking at some pretty impressive uh, alivo plots and sudden death plots out there that hopefully we'll be able to share with you this uh uh, this fall, but right now I am enthused about what I see and what the potential is uh, for managing that disease that we haven't had in the past. Now, when we talk about white mold, white mold too is actually pretty light. We do have white mold issues scattered around, but the white mold pressure compared to normal uh, is is uh, somewhat light in that scenario. Probably the one concern I do see with aphids just about every day as we walk the fields now, we're starting to find soybean aphids. Uh, so they're becoming more prevalent out there. And these beans, most of them between R4 and R5.5, depending on maturities, they're too far away yet from uh, to walk away from the soybean aphids. So at this stage of the game, if you remember, we're talking about two to 300 aphids per plant would trigger a threshold or a spray. So we are going to have to stay on top of these beans, especially your seed beans, all the way out to R6.5. Now, Mother Nature may go ahead and take care of them. So once you find aphids in the field, kind of mark the spots and just keep coming back there about every three to four days to look at that population and see if it's going to go anywhere. If you come back in three days and you come back in another three days and you can't make up your mind whether the aphids are getting thicker, then they're probably not. Uh, when they explode, they explode enough that you're going to know, whoa, this is quite a bit different. 
nothing else, you can go out there and grab some plants and take some pictures, put them on your iPhone and use those pictures when you come back three, four days later to see is this pressure changing itself. But it's uh, pretty easy now, just about every field we can spend some time in. And I know they're kind of tangled up out there, but to be able to go out and find some soybean aphids that we couldn't find just 10 days ago. So they were sporadic 10 days ago, more common that we're finding now. Had a lot of beans that have lodged. This year is going to be the year of the big bean. Of course, we got a lot of armpit to chin tall beans out there. And these recent storms have uh, caused a lot of soybean lodging. Now, most of the beans, again, are in that R4 to R5 stage. We got, uh, again, got to go through R4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 to get this thing done. These beans that are lodging at between R4 and R5, unfortunately, that is going to cause them some yield loss. They're going to have some trouble filling those um beans that are hooked to those trifoliates that are down on the bottom side. So if you look at your lodged beans, you're probably going to see that show up in the yield monitor. Unlike, let's say, an R6 bean that lodges, or, you know, you're not going to see that kind of loss to it. So the the big tall beans are working against us. In general, as I look at them, I think we're fairly well potted. So I, I think the bean potential here um, is pretty strong. Now, it kind of looks a little at light plot potted, but you got an armpit tall bean, and you got a lot of nodes to work with as far as uh, the bean set itself. On the corn crop side, I, I think this corn crop is still big. Uh, we are yield checking from 170 to 240 uh, as we're doing our yield checks. A lot of fields are in that 2 to 200 range. As we yield check these fields and we call off a yield count of 220, it's amazing how many frowns that we see. Uh, a lot of growers are expecting uh, 240s, 250s, and we're not getting that kind of kernel counts out there. Still a big crop, but I think uh, most farmers are locked in on maybe a 2014 type of crop out there. and Yield counts aren't telling us that. In 2014, uh, we were checking big yields, and the indication was that we were going to finish them. I do have some big concerns about this crop right now, and it has to do uh, with the weather conditions because the disease pressure in these fields are really ramping up, and about every seven days, the amount of pressure is doubling out there. So most fields here in the next two weeks, you're actually going to see them turn pretty fast, like they're almost like they're ripening, but it's going to be uh, a lot of fields that are coming down to an explosion of the gray leaf diseases that are coming out out there itself. A number of growers are pretty frustrated with the amount of gray leaf pressure they have, even though they sprayed the fields. And I think the issue here is that you're not realistic of what a fungicide application can do. We're only talking about stopping or slowing this disease down for 10 to 14 days. It's not a control type mechanism. And I know um, we're going to have some of those, especially those fields that were sprayed right at tassel time. Um, you can hardly tell they've been treated now. The gray leaf is coming on so strong. The brown silk applications that were made later that definitely is holding up to the pressure better but even those brown silk fields are going to if especially with the weather pattern we have the humidities that we're dealing with they're going to come down to gray leaf is going to take the tops of those plants uh, as we move along so we have to be you know realistic about what we were trying to do we weren't trying to end up with clean fields we just want to make sure we can keep as much leaf area intact as we could for standability 
It's actually the stock rots that I'm running into that have me the most concerned out here. We're talking mainly Diplodia and Antrachnose, but seeing quite a bit of Diplodia stock rot. Today, some of the fields we're in range from zero stock rot to 12%. So we have 12% of the plants that have actually been killed by stock rot, and we're still 20 days from black layer. And this brings a concern. So what you would see out there is you see a lot of green husk plants. And then you see a plant that's losing some of its leaves, even up in the ear zone, and the husk on the ear is dead. So a situation where it looked like it's prematurely ripening. And in some of those, uh, that's tough enough, the husk, the ear is actually hanging down. So you got a ears that are starting to droop or come down, and you're nowhere near black layer. So a situation we should be, um, you know, 10 to 15 days beyond black layer before you would see any of these uh, plants give up enough trigger pressure to tip the ears down. So premature tipping down of the ear, premature ripening of the husk itself. When you dig those plants and you split them all the way down to the crown, you can see the disease coming in at the crown or the base. And again, most of what we're checking today is diplodia, but there's also antracnose top kill coming in on that second ear, taking the top of that plant out itself. So it's it's a scenario where um, it really is different by hybrid and by rotation out there, but it's kind of like a check engine light on your car, you know, and it comes on and it's orange. We say, well, it's not too serious. I need to check on it before I go somewhere. But when you get a red check engine light, um, you know, you should stop and do something about it. We got a lot of cornfields right now. The check engine light is moving from orange to red. It's telling us that there's some serious issues coming potentially down the road that we we need to be paying attention to so we have those dead ears um, and they're going to pull back the test weight so they're going to get a rubbery cob to them and it's going to make it hard to get to an 80,000 kernel bushel like we saw in 2014 so if you've got quite a few of the dead husk or ears starting to tip down out there I would be using my 90,000 kernel yet as far as uh, uh, yield estimates out there itself if the field has more than 10% of these premature ripe ears, 90,000 still may be a big number or too high a number to use, or to use out there. I mean, not high enough number to use out here. You may have to go to 95. So I think we have to start gearing up in these problem fields that are showing this kind of stock stress uh, to start thinking about an early harvest. Uh, especially those that were not sprayed with a fungicide and the disease pressure is coming on like gangbusters. Now for those fields that weren't sprayed, remember you got 25 to $30 that you haven't invested in a fungicide that you should now think about investing in drier gas. It's a situation where we said, you know, spray for standability. In this case, if you didn't spray for standability, that may mean that you have to move up your um, actual harvest window to, to catch this crop and that's going to take some drier gas. I know harvesting 200 bushel corn wet is a lot of work but harvesting 200 bushel corn on the ground really sucks. So we, we don't want to let this crop get away from us itself. You're going to be going out there and start to do the uh, hand test where you're going to push on those stalks and see if they snap right back. Some of these plants that are dead from stock rot that we're in today, they were breaking off already. And again, we're 15 to 20 days away from black layer and then we got another 10 to 15 days there from harvest. So uh, got a long way to go. Another thing that is evident out here is the diplodia ear rot. It is present in certain numbers in certain fields, especially the susceptible hybrids in corn on corn. 
course, the diplodia earrot, that's that dead ear where the husk sticks to the ear. When you peel it back, you have a white mold from the base of the ear moving up the ear itself. And this is caused by wet, moist conditions during pollination. And that's when the infection would take place. Nothing we can do about it right now. But if you're finding two to three thousand ears and a thousandth of an ear count um, out there, then you want to make sure you take this field directly to town. Don't blend those fields in with the whole bin and end up being docked on the whole bin. You won't find any mitotoxins in there, but it, you will get a dock for um, the diplodia ears that are <laughs> kernels that are in that bushel. So again, if you're starting to pick up as we were yesterday in a field that had uh, as many as three and a thousandth of an account, uh, really that needs to go to town. Don't mix that with some good grain out there itself. The number of fields with Goss's wilt has really jumped here in the past 10 days. Um, good news, I guess, is that we're far enough along we're not going to see the damage like we have in other years with Goss's wilt. The bad news is, is that it's there. And you're going to have to deal with that in the future, meaning um, it's we need to be able to identify the Goss's wilt out there because uh, we're going to have to pick a hybrid next time it goes to corn in there that can handle the Goss's wilt. But you can see the um, meltdown on the leaf typical to Goss's Wilt, that large areas that look similar to northern leap light, uh, kind of wild shaped in passion in the looks like a large cigar lesions, things like that. And you can see that bacterial ooze around the outside of it itself. Um, but it is, uh, we're finding Goss's Wilt now probably in one or two fields almost every day that we're out. And in some cases, what you can pick it out because the plant is already dead. So you have a dead plant standing there and you can look at the leaf tissue and realize that it sure looks like a Goss's wilt itself. And we've been bringing them in and testing them to uh, try to flush that out for sure. But again, if you think you've got Goss's wilt, we need to identify that so we can pick a hybrid that can handle it in two years if it's going back to corn, especially guys that are strip-till and no-till where that residue would be left around itself. What do we need to do? The question gets asked, what do we need to do to make this crop catch up to the 2014 crop? Uh, how do we get a, a big crop like that from here on out? Well, a couple things need to take place on the corn crop side and the bean. We need less uh, or no more rain. Uh, we got plenty of moisture to drive this from where we're at. We need a little bit warmer temperatures and lower humidity. So we need to get the ET rates up strong so we can finish strong. And mostly more sunshine. Um, the lack of sunshine here the past 10 to 12 days has got me concerned. Uh, we really haven't had a string of good, bright, sunshiny days. We start out with fog and cloud cover, and then we hang on to this cloud cover um, throughout the day itself. We really need the sunshine to step up to get the horsepower that we need to finish this thing strong. And I think for a lot of growers, they um, they may not realize how important that sunshine is. And I think rain makes grain. We, we just need this thing. We need our solar energy cranking for us a little bit harder itself. Um, and that has me concerned, especially with corn that only has 10 or 15 days left to finish. Some of the later planted corn, we got a little more time for that. But uh, we need to clear that up. We need good evaporation rates and we need less rain uh, so we can slow down some of the stock rot issues. I think this is a big crop. I do think, though, in a lot of cases, expectations are higher than the crop is. So I'm trying to set the stage here to make sure you're scouting those fields before you're locked in your mind how big they are itself. 
we need to start scouting for how we're going to harvest this. So our harvest scouting needs to start now. Uh, as you walk through these fields, pick out your A, B, and C fields. Which one's got to come first? based on uh, what's happening out there in the field itself. This will become more evident in the next two weeks as you go through, but you can really start to see that even today when you're out there as far as which ones are telling you the red light's on and we need to uh, manage it itself. So which ones are going to come first out there um, is probably what we need to work on. Start thinking about a quick and fast harvest, how we're going to get this done manpower-wise and what's, who's doing what where. Uh, let's not get caught with some down corn and with some bad weather. On the bean front, uh, we're going to keep an eye on the soybean aphid. We'll also keep an eye on the potential for soybean rust. Right now, we're looking pretty good there. I am concerned that we may have to clean up some soybean aphids, especially in our mid-threes to mid-four beans uh, before this is done. With that, Keep her moving, keep her safe.